We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire Signature NHL Hockey Pod Podcast with Statsman and AJ Friends. I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host is AJ Scholes, who's a great follow at AJ Scholes24, based in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, near Rotowire headquarters over in Madison. Partner, how are you doing today? Oh, no complaints. It's, uh, you know, we're getting uh, into the, the nitty-gritty of uh, the playoffs here and watching, uh, you know, I've you know, Paul, I'm a big soccer fan, so I've been taking in the, the Euro tournament. Olympics are right around the corner, so we're excited about that in our house as well. So, uh, yeah, plenty of plenty of sports still to watch. We got the Bucks up two one in their series, so it's it's a fun time here in uh, in Wisconsin Ab- for sure. Absolutely, I'm watching the NBA playoffs, and I was wondering if you were going to be in the Deer District. There was an awfully big crowd there, AJ. And I'm not hearing anything more about social distancing, so this all sounds very promising to me. I hope that you're uh, you're staying safe and uh, enjoying the time because the playoff run is fantastic, and and, and it's loads of fun for people if you're passionate about the sport. And uh, I too am into the Euros, and my uh, my uh, allegiance is with Italy, of course, and they have a tough match coming up against Belgium on Friday, I think it is. So the Bruno household has got its own share of, of sports to follow, and uh, I'm, I'm busy with it. But this Stanley Cup final that's ahead of us, man, it's going to be a very difficult one for me to consume. i gotta, <laughs> I got I to gotta say that. So uh, anyway, on today's show, we're going to review the two series in the third round of the NHL playoffs and preview the Stanley Cup final, which gets underway tonight. Uh, Monday, it's Monday, June 28th, with Game 1 as Montreal visits Tampa. Normally an Atlantic Division rivalry, but here they are competing against one another in the Stanley Cup Final. And then finally, we will review the salary cap and free agent situations for each of the 31 teams to get Pooleys ready for the planning that goes into getting ready for next season because hockey, as we all know, is a 365-day season right now, AJ. And uh, that's music to my ears. I love the fact that there's always something to look forward to. So uh, with that, let's go into the NHL semifinals. There were 
two uh, hotly contested series, I, I, more hotly contested than I anticipated, but uh, great drama in both of them. And uh, we begin, begin with our look at Tampa against the Islanders. You and I each picked uh, the series to go six games. It went seven. I had Tampa winning. You had the Islanders winning. And uh, really, at the end of the day, it was a coin flip decided by a shorthanded goal in game seven. Yeah, I think that, you know, the interesting thing with, um, you know, with the Islanders is it's really, it should be encouraging, at least if you're an Islanders fan. Um, Obviously, they got kind of close last year. And then again, to get close this year, you know, wondering what it's going to take to kind of get over that hump. Uh, And honestly, for me, I think Anders Lee would have been one of the keys to maybe getting uh, to the next level this season. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what next year brings. Obviously, restructured divisions with Seattle joining and, and going back to the, the more traditional formats here. So the Islanders are, are going to be a tough out in the, in the Metro um, and certainly should be in the mix for, for a playoff spot and, and beyond, I think. Uh, AJ, your point about Anders Lee missing on that left side is, is huge because they were forced to play Leo Komarov, normally a third or fourth line winger, in that top line left wing spot. And while, you know, I have a soft spot for Leo being an ex-Leaf and I like the way he plays the game, a rugged guy who doesn't back down from anyone, the scoring is simply not there and, and it really hampered that line throughout the playoffs, I will say in that respect. Cal Palmieri did wake up and participate in the playoffs after a so-so end to his season once he was traded there, so he delivered as, uh, as well as could be expected. Travis Zajac was another subpar performer me, uh, to me. He was also acquired at the trade deadline and really didn't fit the bill here at all in terms of an offensive contributor. That fourth line that the Islanders have, though, continued to be a buzzsaw. Matt Martin has got more of a scoring touch than I ever thought he did chipping in the odd goal here and there. Casey Zekas and Cal Clutterbuck making life miserable for the opponents on a nightly basis. And then the depth on defense was was there. Noah Dobson looks to be a future star in this league for me. And Annette Semyon Varlamov played his heart out and uh, came out second best to uh, the guy I think is the best player, uh, best goalie in hockey. So that, at the end of the day, meant spelled doom for the Islanders for a second straight year at the hands of the uh, the. Tampa Club, and I know how it feels to be on a losing end to a team year after year, being a Leaf fan and facing Boston over and over. So uh, my heart goes out to Islander fans everywhere there. But you got a great team and something to look forward to for sure. AJ, the Tampa Club, what was your sense for the, of them in this series? I mean, Kucherov was in and out with injuries, but uh, Braden Point was lights out, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that was obviously offensively the key, you know, despite the injuries, uh, you know, Kudrov still managed to, you know, he's been a bit more in a playmaker role than a goal scorer. He is on an eight game goal drought. So that's certainly a bit of a concern if, if you're uh, a Lightning fan here. But Braden Point, uh, I think he'll pick it right back up in game one here. I, I think he'll pick up that goal scoring streak right where he left off um, and, and really offense. Uh, has been a lot now have they needed it I think is the key question and the answer there is no they really haven't needed the offense and it has been all due to Andre Vasilevsky who I think is going to take home the Vesna trophy here as well um, he has been you know unbeatable he's got four shutouts in, in the postseason which is astronomical a 1.99 goals against average uh, you know just s- some fantastic numbers so if they can get any sort of offense you know they only had the one goal the one shorthanded goal in game seven there but 
you know, when you have the best netminder in the world right now in Vasilevsky, what more do you need than <laughs> one goal? So I would anticipate we'll see um, probably mostly low-scoring games uh, throughout this series, you know, 2-1, uh, 2-1 in overtime, I, I think are some some score lines. We could certainly see plenty of heading into the, the finals. We'll talk more about that, obviously, when, when we get there. And we have to talk about the other series that took place, the Vegas Knights against the Montreal Canadiens. It was the newest franchise in the league versus one of the two oldest in, in hockey, and the one that has the most Stanley Cup wins. This is killing me to say this, all this stuff about Montreal. <laughs> and uh, it's the only, it's one of the reasons why I've turned down opportunities to talk elsewhere. And you know that offline, this is very, very hard for me. I imagine you'd have some difficulty if it was the Flyers, wouldn't you? Talking like this it's about the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, yeah, it might be a little tricky, uh, you know, <laughs> to, to talk about the Flyers in the final. But, uh, you know, obviously we've, we've, we've got to get there, Paul, and, and I'll lead us through it. My, you know, impressions of, of the Habs here. Uh, obviously Carey Price, like, right? Like the only guy who's been performing better than Carey Price has been Andre Vasilevsky. Um, so they'll need him to continue to go. Cole Caulfield has been phenomenal. little shout out to Wisconsin's own Cole Caulfield. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, for, for their part, you know, we'll, again, we'll talk more about them when we look at the, the finals here, but on the other side of the ice for Vegas, I think mismanagement of the goalies is, is the key here. Um, you know, Fleury had that, that mistake uh, in, in that one game uh, that led to the loss. Now, for my preference, if I'm, the, if I'm the coach, I'm putting him right back in for the next game uh, to kind of mentally get over the hump on, on that mistake and, and fight it off. Pete DeVore went in a different route, and that's fine. But I think once you make the change in that series to Robin Leonard, they should have stayed with Robin Leonard for, for the rest of the series. I, I think the back and forth, I know it worked during the regular season. Look, these guys went every other night for almost two months, and, and it worked out great for them during the regular season. But this isn't a regular season. This is the playoffs. You have one netminder who, you know, he's been rolling. He makes his bad mistakes. Suddenly he's benched. Uh, but then he gets to go back in after, the, you know, the other guy had a good performance. So, you know, should he have stayed in? So I think mismanagement of the goalies was, was the biggest problem here. There's a bunch of other things that maybe you'll key on for, for Vegas and, and what happened there. Um, but goalie mismanagement, I, th- I think for me, is the key here. And I'll also say the center depth is something we talked about all season. Right. And it still wasn't there, obviously. Um, and, and it's something that they, they need to address, I think, in the offseason. Yeah, to your point, AJ, you're talking about Chandler Stevenson being in and out of the lineup. He was basically a placeholder, but an effective one on that top, top line in between their top snipers, Pacioretty and Stone. But uh, he was hampered by injury. And I wonder how much, if Mark Stone was hurt or anything at all, he, he said he was fine. But he was a, a a dud in this final, and I, I was shocked by that uh, development. He and Pacioretty combined for one, exactly one goal over the six games that were played. And if anybody would have told me that at the beginning of the series, I'd have said, you're out of your mind. These guys are going to go nuts offensively, and just like they did in the regular season. But kudos to Montreal's checking. They checked those guys into the ice and then some. So uh, it was the second line that carried the mail for, for the Knights throughout the playoffs, and it's a line that's been together almost since the inception of this franchise. So I want to tip my hat to Jonathan Marshall, Willie Carlson, and Riley Smith for being the guys that, that handled much of the scoring in these playoffs for the, the Knights. And uh, 
by all accounts, they'll be back again next year. This team has had a, quite a run since they they uh, put down their flag as a, as the newest NHL franchise. So you expect that they'll be competitive. Alex Petrangelo was an absolute stud in these playoffs, AJ, and he was the leading scorer for, for the Knights in this series, actually, uh, from his defense position. So he has to be congratulated. Shea Theodore was a bit of a... Uh, a negative uh, impact or a null impact for me in this series he only had like three assists in the whole set and he was neck and neck and maybe even better than uh, Pietrangelo on the regular season in terms of offensive contributions but I'm not going to knock the scoring from the blue line they did most of the offense as well as handling the defensive responsibilities in their own end much better than the, the Vegas offense and it was that aspect that really hurt the Knights more than the goaltending. I know you're a, you're a big flurry booster and, and the guy does need your support to get in the Hall of Fame. He's going to do it all on his own. Uh, but uh, Robin Leonard was not the reason they lost any games in this set. Uh, you pointed out Flurry made a bit of a gaffe to cost them the one game uh, earlier on in the series. But again, I'm not putting the goat horns on him either. I think it's squarely on an offense that was left wanting in this postseason. And uh, that's going to be something that this team has to look at in the offseason to try and build up to, to take that final step next year. But uh, they may not get a better chance than they had this season against a team that they should have been beaten out in these playoffs. So that's the postmortem on the teams that didn't make it. we got to shift our gears now and talk about the two teams that did, AJ. And that means we talk about Montreal and we talk about the Tampa Lightning. And these are two teams that, to your point about when the divisions realign next year, they're going to be in the same Atlantic division with my Maple Leafs. So i got to think, look at this. I got uh, My team's got to go in not only against the cup finalist, but the cup champion next year. And, but look at Montreal. I, I don't know how you rate them any higher than fourth or fifth in the, in the next season's division when you do the previews again. They've had a magical run. And when I, what I did this morning, AJ, just for fun, was I went to the 1993 Stanley Cup roster of the Canadians, and I, I almost start, I almost started bawling because I, I looked at the quality and depth of that team, and I think this team is deeper in terms of quality and depth. So uh, it makes me think: Is there another shocker in store here? Uh, why don't you take us down through the offense of the Canadians, and uh, and then we'll get to uh, the goalies and and the defense. But start let's start with the forwards here. Let's do it in a bit of a reverse order that's to the norm here. Walk us through the lines as you see them and uh, strengths and weaknesses that you forecast. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the the Canadians, uh, they have uh, a, a pretty decent first line, but the interesting part is it, it's not the group that's leading the way offensively. So the first line for them comes in as Arturi Lekanen. Part of that uh, is due to, you know, the injuries to Jake Evans and then Yoel Armia, uh, who has uh, reportedly cleared COVID protocols and is like on a private jet right now flying to Tampa in hopes of being able to play in this game. So we'll see what happens there, but they're both going to be game time decisions. Um, but uh, ultimately, the first line of late has been Arturi Lekkinen, Philip Deneau, and Brendan Gallagher. Not a lot of offense coming out of these guys. I mean, Gallagher... Uh, of that group has five points in, in 17 games. Lekkanen has, has four points. And, and so really it's been the second group, uh, Tyler Toffoli, Nick Suzuki, and Cole Caulfield, who have led the way. Uh, they're uh, a combined uh, 36 points for that, for that six pack or three pack there. So uh, definitely, you know, the more offensively uh, powered group here. Further down the lineup, Paul Byron, 
Jesper Kottenhemi, and Josh Anderson rounding out the third group. And then the veteran line, which has, uh, you know, again, depending on what happens with Yoel Armia, has been mostly Armia, Eric Stahl, and Corey Perry. These guys have chipped in some offense here and there for his part. Perry leading that group with nine points. So they've got plenty of offensive tools here and, and a pretty decent decent group. Now, when you want to talk forwards, though, in terms of star power, obviously you're looking at the other end of the ice. And you've got Andre Palat, Braden Point, and Nikita Kucherov as the first line for the Tampa Lightning. Kucherov dealing with that upper body injury. There's no way he's 100%, in my opinion. Um, not a lot of goals for him. I mentioned that eight-game goal drought, but 27 points, that's the most in the postseason. 17 of those have come with the man advantage. So they are pretty dependent on the power play here. Second line, no slouches here either. Alex Kalorn, Anthony Sorelli, Steven Stamkos. Again, this, this group basically makes up their top six, uh, top seven scores with Victor Hedman tossed in. As you said, we'll talk D in a little bit. I think this side of the ice is a little weaker in terms of depth. I like the third line of Montreal, maybe just a smidge better uh, than Barkley Goudreau, Yanni Gordon, Blake Coleman. And then another kind of veteran group for the most part for the fourth line in Patrick Maroon, Tyler Johnson, Ross Colton, obviously not a veteran, but evenly matched. So overall, I think I might give the edge to Montreal a little bit in terms of overall lineup depth, especially if Armia or Evans is, is playing in that game. Uh, but in terms of sheer star power and, and top six, I think you have to give the edge to the light. I think that's a very astute analysis. Uh, when I was looking at the depth chart of the Canadians, I almost came to the same conclusion as you, but it's the star power, like you said, for Tampa's top six, and you speak to that edge, and, and it shows very pronouncedly. Uh, the, uh, and when you look at the special teams on offense, the Tampa power play at hitting at 37.7%, and Montreal's PK at 93.5, that could be a telltale sign in this series, AJ, because you're talking about the top power play versus the top penalty killing unit in these playoffs and Montreal's bread and butter all season long was not only the ability to kill penalties but they scored a pile of goals in the shorthanded uh, situations too so Tampa's got to be really careful about the counter-strike ability of the Canadians up front and on the on the power play particularly and that'll be something that I'll watch very closely if I tune into this series at all should I watch it? I guess I should. <laughs> but uh, you know what? The lesser lights, if you're not talking about daily fantasy and building your teams out, uh, I, I think it's important to find a way to get either Andre Palat or Alex Killorn or maybe both of them into your nightly lineups in DFS because they're consistently undervalued in terms of, of the price points relative to the likes of Point, Kucherov, and Stamkos. Maybe if you want to stack players, you got to find a way to get some combination of the big guys and those two, Palat and Killorn, into your uh, rotation. And uh, then, of course, you look to the defense and see about filling it out that, that way. But I like your call. Uh, I think Montreal's depth is, is surprisingly going to close the gap in terms of the overall difference between the forward ranks. But I do give a slight edge to Tampa just because of the star power. It looks like Steven Stankos is very highly motivated to actually be a factor on the ice in this postseason. And that's a real rallying point that nobody's really touching on, that the captain really wants to win on the ice this year. And it's a bit of a rallying point for the rest of the team to help him get there as well. Uh, and in terms of the defensive complement, the star of stars is Victor Hedman. For my money, the best defenseman in the game. 
heads hands down and should uh, walk away with the Norris Trophy this season when all things are considered. Uh, in terms of his overall game, you can certainly look at points and say, oh, maybe the guy in New York, Fox, had a better totals and that sort of thing. But I just love the way Hedman is a factor for 25 to 27 minutes a night, and he hasn't slowed down in the postseason. His fortunate running mate is Jan Ruta, and if you're looking for a guy to compliment uh, in terms of your DFS lineups, looking for a cheap defenseman, he might be a way to go too because he he's on the ice with Hedman for much of those minutes and uh, pass across to Hedman, put it up to a forward who scores, that's a cheap assist, but Ruta's going to be on the ice delivering those. Ryan McDonough has elevated his game, AJ, and people forget just how good this guy was when he was with the New York Rangers earlier on in his career. He's playing back to that level in these playoffs and a factor at both ends of the ice, and uh, I just love the way his overall game has come together, and he's kind of like uh, plan B in terms of the offensive thrust from the back end behind Edmund. Eric Zernak, his game is coming along. A young guy who's a minute eater on the blue line has factored into the top four there. So that's kept Mikhail Sergachev in a third line pairing with David Savard. But on most other teams, that could be no worse than a second pairing. So that just speaks to the depth here. And then Luke Shen seems to have been reborn here. The guy who was drafted in Toronto years ago never really panned out in terms of a factor on on the Leaf defense there. But certainly has seen his career become revived and been a factor not only in last year's cup run but he's also a good placeholder on the depth charts and injury insurance on the back end too they have a lot of guys in that regard frederick clayson cal foot other guys that they could turn to in a pinch so it goes with what i always said you want to go deep in the playoffs you better have some some strong reserves and they certainly do on the tampa side what about on the Montreal side, the blue line, AJ? Give us a rundown on the Canadians' back end and how you see it matching up with the Tampa group. Well, I don't. I just don't know that we, um, you know, we're we're having a lot of. Uh, there's not a lot of uh, le- uh, the same level here. You obviously have Victor Hedman on on Tampa, and and he's going to lead the way offensively and and really big power play eater. You know, maybe five years ago, Shea Weber from five years ago. Yeah. You know, not not that Shea Weber's you know a, a bad player by any stretch of the imagination these days. He's just not the same offensive powerhouse that you have on the other side of the ice. Where Hedman is in the top, I, I think top five in terms of postseason points for them. The top scoring D man for Montreal is Joel Edmondson at ninth with six assists. So. Um, it's just a different group. Uh, I think overall they're, they're pretty evenly matched other than that. They both have some shutdown guys. They're both really solid. Ben Chirot, Shea Weber is the first pair. Joel Edmondson, Jeff Petrie is the second. Eric Gustafson and John Merrill make up a, a really solid three, three pair uh, there. So um, they're, they're, they're by no means a, a bad group. I just think the edge goes to Tampa near, you know, solely because of Victor Hedman. Well, and let's not diminish Jeff Petrie. He has been hampered by injury in the latter part of the playoffs. But if he can find some some healthiness in this final, I think he's guy that carries the flag on the back end for Montreal, and Weber might be their second-best option. I wonder how much time Alex Romanoff is going to factor into these postseason. He's a youngster who hasn't shown his uh, offensive upside to the extent that I think he has it in his game maybe it's just the fact that he's a little too inexperienced eric gustafson is a guy that might they might plug into the power play on a second group he is most known for the offensive side of his game but it hasn't really hurt the canadians too much defensively in this postseason and i find that a little bit surprising john merrill a guy that 
was in Vegas in years past, fills out that group on, on defense. But it's the top four guys. Sherratt and Edmondson have really gotten their accolades in this postseason for the way that they've joined Petrie and Weber to be the, the guys that collapse around Carey Price and make life miserable for anybody who ventures into the Montreal, the heart of the Montreal defensive structure there. Uh, it's a minefield for sure, and a lot of people have paid the price physically for, uh, for trying to get in there. And uh, finally, we got the goalie tandem of Carey Price and Andre Vasilevsky, hands down the two best goalies in, in hockey uh, as the season plays out, AJ. But I think for once, you can't give the big check, big check for, mark to the Montreal Canadiens, can you? Uh, no, I mean, not the big check mark. I, I, I do think you give a, a slight edge, but it's certainly not the you know gap that it was in, in some of the other uh, series here. I mean, you look... Best netminers in terms of save percentage. Andre Vasilevsky, 0.936. Terry Price, 0.934. Best netminers in terms of goals against average. Andre Vasilevsky at 1.99. Terry Price at 2.02. Like, it's right there. It's pretty much the same. If there's one stat that separates them the most, it's obviously the shutouts. Andre Vasilevsky having four shutouts in 18 games is pretty solid for, for the other side of it. Carey price has just one. So, um, you know, I, it's not a big check mark. I totally agree with that. Um, but ultimately, um, I do give a slight edge to Tampa in, in terms of the net mining. But as you said, it's, it's not a huge difference. Yeah. And, and all that said, the Vezina Trophy is Carey Price's to lose right now. He might be one of the few guys on a losing team to get the Vezina Trophy. It doesn't happen very – I mean, the Conn Smythe Trophy, it hasn't happened very often in the NHL, but there are previous examples. And look, there's no way Montreal would be where they are without the exploits of their stellar netminder. He's done enough in this series to, to earn to, – in these playoffs to earn that trophy without stepping on the ice in the Stanley Cup final, in my opinion. But on the other side, certainly a case can be made for the likes of Vasilevsky – Headman and Point, and so it'll be very interesting to see how the voting comes down at the end of the series. If Montreal wins, it's prices. But if they lose, it still could be him, but you make a case for the Tampa side. In any case, the, the special, unit, special team units, uh, I already spilled the beans on Tampa's power play and Montreal's PK. Well, Montreal's power play uh, hitting at uh, 20.9%. And Tampa's penalty killing at 83% is a little bit less of uh, notorious than the numbers that I quoted on the other side. But still, uh, I think that special teams can tell the story of this series because uh, you know Montreal's checking is going to be there. But I wonder if they can contain the speed and the relentless nature of Tampa's attack. We saw them swarm the Islanders at times, and they did swarm all their opponents' opponents at times. But look at the overall records in these playoffs: Tampa's twelve and six, Montreal's twelve and five, and it still burns me that three of those five losses were against the Leafs, <laughs> and we couldn't get the fourth. I had to get that in. AJ, tell me this is going to be Tampa's Cup. Uh, I would love to tell you it's not going to be just to, to watch you squirm there, Paul. And, and to be honest, if, if I'm talking strictly uh, fan cheering, I, I would love to potentially cheer for the Habs in this one just to watch the, the pain set in for you, Paul. But I do think it's going to be Tampa, and, and I'm going to take them in six. I think Carey Price, um, that second line for Montreal, I think those guys can force this to go a little bit longer. Um, but I, I do think ultimately the Lightning will repeat here. 
And I'm going to stick to my guns. I've picked against Montreal three times this postseason. If you throw out those series, I've had an outstanding playoff, picking winners. <laughs> but when you throw them into the mix, it's a little less impressive. I'm going to take a fourth shot at it. I'm taking Tampa and five. And please, Lightning, you're a blue and white club. Don't let me down. This has to happen. <laughs> So that's the end of our, effectively the end of our season six, AJ, but we're going to stick around here and uh, go through uh, the first stages of prepping our our listeners who are poolies with next year with a look at the team's salary caps. When we come back uh, after these words from our sponsors, we'll be back to take a look at those 31 teams, their salary cap situations. When we return, you're listening to podcast with Statsman and AJ. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, we're back. And uh, one thing that I love about the NHL and playing in fantasy pools, AJ, is that it's become a year-round pursuit. There's no downtime anymore, partner. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it, we roll into one thing and the next. Obviously, this year is a, a little different with the season having having started a little later. We're further into July. Norm, uh, you know, normally we'd be uh, three days away from talking about the start of free agency. Um, and we obviously have an expansion draft this year to talk about. So we, we got um, more, more, uh, more good, uh, good times ahead of us in terms of looking ahead to next season. Absolutely. As one season is about to end, another is going to start. Before we know it, we have to just start getting ready ASAP. So for us, the first step is looking at the salary cap situations for each club as they head into the postseason. So up next, let's take that quick look at the 31 salary cap situations, partner, and identify 
key restricted and unrestricted free agents for each team and to give our opinions on who are the priorities and do we think the teams retain the players or let them walk. So we'll start this analysis, as we always do in our alphabetical look, with the Anaheim Ducks. We haven't spoken about them for weeks, AJ, but why don't you take a quick look at their UFA and RFA situations and who do you think returns? Uh, well, I mean, for starters, uh, they, they have no forwards. <laughs> yeah, if I'm being uh, totally honest, you look at this group, the only signed forwards they have next season uh, under contract, at least, are Henrik, Silverberg, Raquel, Grant, Terry, and De- Nicholas Deloria. Um, you know, they, in terms of UFAs, you've got uh, Ryan Getzloff, David Backus, and Carter Rowney all, you know, guys on the, the back half of their career. If Gesloff and Backus want to play again, you know, maybe they'd re-up them. I don't think David Backus will be back. So I think more so the focus is going to be in terms of forwards on these RFAs and getting these guys under contract. Max Jones, Sam Steele, Danton Heinen, uh, Maxime Comtois, Alexander Volkov, and, and Isaac Ludstrom. I, I see no reason not to re-sign any of these guys unless they – uh, are asking for something ridiculous again they're rfas so they don't have a, a ton of flexibility here on the back end things are a little more certain they've got everybody under contract next year except for andy walensky uh, that's a minor guy that i don't think you know you sign him to a league minimum deal if you want him i, I don't think that's a big deal obviously they won't have uh, uh, the the goaltending the backup goaltending situation is going to be a little bit different with ryan miller retiring but they do obviously have John Gibson still and Anthony Stolarch is signed for another two years as, as the backup. Uh, you know, they have a couple of guys under contract next year who finished this year on injured reserve. Um, but all those guys are under contract. That's Ryan Gessler, Hampus, Lindholm and Sonny Milano. So no reason to worry about those guys either. So um, a couple small minor decisions, but mostly the focus is getting all those RFAs uh, signed. Yeah, and they're going to certainly have some money to do so. They've got 13 players under contract for just under $59 million. That means they have $22 million effectively to sign 10 players, an average of $2 million a pop. And a lot of that is because Getzlaff probably won't be re-up. He's 36 years old, and I don't see how you pay him the big money to do a victory lap. If he comes back at a maybe a league minimum or a couple million dollars, maybe they entertain that. But otherwise, could be his swan song as the captain here. Uh, certainly, I like the... The fact that they're going to have to look at signing Max Jones and Sam Steele. Those guys should threaten top six minutes in this setup here. Ditto for Danton Heinen. So there is some hope, but they got some work to do in the offseason here in terms of uh, restructuring their lineup. Up next, we're going to take a look at the Arizona Coyotes. And AJ, I'll do the preamble here and get your reaction. But the Coyotes are a team that has... A lot of money uh, available. Whether they spend anywhere near the cap is the question. They've signed 12 players for a total of $50 million, leaving them with $31 million to spend on 11 more should they want to go that route. They have in the past taken on some money on the injured reserve, too. They still have Marion. They don't have Marion House's contract heading into next year as a, as a crutch in that regard. So uh, basically, we're looking at a team that has to do some work on the, on each position with all the gaps alluded to earlier and that means what do they do with Derek Broussard do they finally let him go this guy has had chances everywhere and kind of failed in the last couple of years so I don't know that he comes back in the mix Michael Bunting is a fringe player too Uh, he's classed as UFA the RFAs are where it gets interesting here for me Connor Garland is a guy that I absolutely like 
a lot. Uh, he's a guy that is in the pest mode of a Darcy Tucker or more currently a Brendan Gallagher type is better comparable, I suppose. Guy can put the puck in the net, but he can be under your nose all night long and in your face. So uh, a guy that every team would love to have, and I don't see how uh, Arizona lets him escape. Dryden Hunt is a youngster who is trying to find his way as a depth forward, and John Hayden, the same regard. Uh, those are the other key guys up front that need to be signed. On the back end, there's big gaps because they've only got Oliver ekman Larson, Jacob Chikrin, and Ilya Lubushkin signed up. So that means the likes of Jason Demers, Alex Goligoski, Jordan Osterley, and Nicholas Jalmerson all are restricted UFAs, and they're all between the ages of 29 and 35, so uh, clearly in the latter part of their careers, uh, to, to borrow your line. And uh, some work to do on the back end to fill that out. Darcy Kemper in goal at age 31. He's got one year remaining on his deal. Antti Ranta, who dealt with injuries, is a guy that they're hoping to retain as well at age 32. And if he, they don't keep him, the Aiden Hill has been knocking on the door for years, and he's been playing in fits and starts for this clean team. So there is some insurance in the Nets if they don't get Ranta back. How do you see things shaking down in, in Arizona from, from my analysis here, AJ? Yeah, I'll start with Ranta. And, and honestly, at this point, if, if I'm them, I don't want anti Ranta back, right? Like, I don't need two two guys over 30. Right. Ranta's been constantly injured since they acquired him. Um, and you've got Aiden Hill, who's going to be an RFA and can kind of you know, potentially get the opportunity to see if he's the guy of the future, right? You've got Kemper locked in for one year. Um, the only reason I could see them maybe signing anti Ranta is so that they, and I don't, I would have to double check. I don't know if Aiden Hill fills this requirement, but if they want to protect Darcy Kemper in the expansion draft and they need a goalie to expose, it could be anti Ranta assigned there um, for that purpose. So I, I don't know all the, the ins and outs in, in front of me in terms of whether or not Hill meets that requirement. Um, the other thing I'll just mention is, you know, those forwards that are all RFAs. So Garland, Hunt, Hayden, and Patterson, most of those should go pretty easily. But they are all four arbitration eligible, which can sometimes complicate things in terms of, of the contracts and, and getting a, a deal um, a deal done. So it'll be interesting to, to kind of watch. You know, you mentioned all the holes defensively. They do have some decision-making to go. Uh, again, for my part, I don't know that you need Golgoski or Jarmelson back, given their, their age. Even Jason Demers would probably fall into that category. But you need somebody on the back end, right? And I don't know um, that they want to go, you know, completely hunting into either the minor system or, uh, you know, free agency to, to fill that out. So they may bring one or two of those guys back just because um, in Boston, you've got a team that's got uh, 16, uh, 16 guys on the main roster on the contract here. They've got about 30 million in, in cap space, which is about what they'll need uh, to sign Taylor Hall and David Krejci. If those guys want to come back, <laughs> um, you know, it sounds like Taylor Hall is, is something that, that they're going to work on and, and maybe see if there's a fit there. I don't know that he's going to get the big one year, you know, the 8 million that he got from Buffalo. I just don't know that Boston can offer him that, but maybe that early experience in Buffalo will have Taylor Hall realizing that money's not everything, right? Maybe. Yeah. You can make $8 million to go play for Buffalo, but then you have to play for Buffalo. So, um, you know, maybe he's willing to take six or five or, or something like that. Um, you know, seven would put him above Bergeron, Pasternak and Marchand. 
So maybe six is a little bit more fair. Um, we'll see what happens. Sounds like David Krejci needs to make a decision first on whether he wants to continue playing. But I think if he does, it'll be there with them. Uh, Nick Ritchie, Andre Kasha, both going to be RFAs, Sean Corelli, UFAs. Those are all kind of minor pieces. On the back end, the big name is Brandon Carlo, who's going to be an RFA and getting him re-up. They absolutely will do that. I think they'll want to keep Mike Riley around as well if they can fit him under contract. The rest of this group, Steve Camper, Kevin Miller, Jared uh, Terniti, I, I think all of them, you know, don't bend over backwards to figure out what, what you want to do. The huge question is the net mining, right, Paul? Uh, is Tukaraz going to keep playing? after he comes back from the surgery, which isn't going to have him playing games until January, February. What do you do with that? Honestly, um, Yaroslav Halak, I can't imagine he even wants to come back after being relegated to third. So do you go into the season with Jeremy Swayman as your number one netminder, possibly even looking to Daniel Vladder as your backup? So I do think they will be in the market for some sort of veteran, but all that depends on what Tuka is going to do, what they can agree to contract wise with him. So this is probably the most complicated offseason, in my opinion, that they've had for a while. I didn't mention John Moore, who ended the year on injured reserve. He'll obviously factor into that back, uh, back-end decision, which further means that they probably don't need Miller or Camper back once, once John Moore is fully fit here. You know what, AJ? When you talk about the goaltending situation there, there's a couple of interesting names that pop up in terms of uh, available players. You mentioned the Buffalo situation. Carter Hutton is one of those goalies he's 35 years old but then his his running mate was Linus Olmark a lot of eyes are going to be on him in this offseason he's 27 years old and he put up some great numbers in Buffalo in, in a tough situation so there's a guy that that is out there and I like the guy in Florida too the Chris Dreger as a possibility these guys are in their mid to late 20s and they're coming off some low-level contracts and teams that are looking for goaltending helps so could certainly do worse than picking either of those guys but you wonder does Boston take a look at a guy like Freddie Anderson who's 31 years old still in the middle of his career coming off a five million dollar cap hit and a guy who in behind a better defensive structure than he's had in Toronto could thrive in a situation like Boston so they do have options out there on the free agent landscape and to your point that that's the biggest issue that the Bruins have looking forward because taking a look at Tuka Rask's situation as a UFA 34 years of age, apt to miss a chunk of next season. I wonder if they're going to they're gonna spend big bucks and, and try and get him back. I don't think he commands a contract like 7 or $8 million, but certainly four, three, four, five, something in there for a couple of years. Otherwise, they go fishing, and uh, that's going to be interesting to see what they do try and pull off. Uh, their defense is a kind of a no-name group back there. You wonder if they're going to try and find a way to get a guy like a Dougie Hamilton in the mix. That's the biggest name wrong defenseman that's available. But otherwise, it's Charlie McAvoy who will be carrying the flag as the uh, the biggest offensive hope here, along with Matt Grizzlick. Behind them, it's Connor Clifton, Jeremy Lozon, and Jacobs Borrell, youngsters who have been uh, getting minutes on the Boston back end. Stephen Camphor is a guy at 32 years of age, older than each of these guys, who might be returning as a veteran. Ditto for Kevin Miller. These are both UFAs for them. Tenorti is a rugged customer on the back end, 29 years old, and uh, can really duke it out if if you're looking for that as well on the back end so they have some work to do in boston but they got a lot of money to do it and i wonder if they take a look at uh 
Taylor Hall, as you suggested, to return. He did enough for me to say that uh, he showed Boston that he loves, loves it there and would like it a chance. We'll see if he gets it. Up next, we look at the Buffalo Sabres, a team that has a lot of money to spend and a lot of players to fill. They got a 10 players signed. AJ, they got $34 million, so they got 13 players to get. That's going to give them about $2.5 million per player. And selling them those UFAs to come back to a situation like Buffalo endured this season could be a big challenge here. Among the, the UFAs, Toby Reeder, Sam Reinhardt's a guy. I wonder if they're going to deal him rather than try and resign him. There's been a lot of noise in that regard as well. And, of course, their captain, Jack Eichel, uh, has been the subject of a lot of trade rumors. They could fill the cover. They're covered with a lot of players and prospects if they deal him. And it's looking li- very likely that they might. He, he's got a four years remaining at uh, five years remaining at $10 million per year and just you can tell this guy wants out by now. He's really had a tough time uh, navigating the, wa- the troubled waters in Buffalo, not making the playoffs at all yet in his career. is really grinding on this guy. And uh, along with him on the injured reserve, Zemigas Gergensen is a guy who sat out much of the season, and they'd love to get him back in a top-six role for only $2.2 million. Uh, that's good value if he can return. Jake McCabe, another rugged defenseman back there. He's a pending UFA coming off the IR. If he's healthy, he's another guy I take a look at in Buffalo. But AJ, there's a whole host of these guys. Uh, do any names jump out for you on the Buffalo landscape that uh, you think they need to return? Uh, Rasmus Dalin, what kind of a contract does he get coming off an RFA deal? Uh, lots of questions here. Yeah, absolutely. So Darlene uh, is probably number two, in my opinion, in, in terms of what they've got to get figured out. Uh, Sam Reinhardt being number one, obviously. But again, an RFA gives them a little bit more control over the situation. Um, Casey Middlestad, I think, is also important for them to, to figure out um, where they're going with him. And then obviously, you mentioned the goaltending situation. They, they don't have anybody under contract. Uh, next year between the pipes uh, unless you unless they're going to go uh, to Lukonen or or even Dustin Tokarski as, as their option but I'll tell you this much if, if those two guys are the one two in goal for next season there's no way Jack Eichel is going to play <laughs> for the <laughs> Buffalo Sabres I mean I, I would be out on that too so uh, look I gosh you just can't you know the trading Eichel you're never going to get value out of that Right. Like, especially if you have to retain salary, you're never going to get enough out of trading a guy like that to make it worth it. But the fact of the matter is that the whole injury thing, it may just be that they got to do the best they can because he doesn't want to play for them anymore with how, how they've mismanaged that. And there's all kinds of problems. You know, they're, they're still on the hook for Jeff Carter at nine million dollars for the next six seasons or Jeff Skinner, rather. So that's not helping their, their cap situation either. But so there, there's a lot of problems here. Uh, I don't envy Kevin Adams here trying to figure this out um, and, and go from there. So it, it's going to be a tough offseason, I think, for the, the Sabres faithful. And, and I think they're going to eventually get some bad news that Jack Eichel's been traded. And there's no way the return is going to make anybody in the Queen City happy about that one. In Calgary, uh, they've got about $14.5 million available in space, a handful of guys that uh, need new deals, but none of the major pieces 
here need to be uh, re-signed. And in my opinion here, they've got guys like Tachuk, Gaudreau, Monaghan, Backline. All of them are under contract. You're looking more at kind of your your depth pieces. You, uh, you know, Brett Ritchie, Buddy Robinson, Josh Levo, Derek Ryan make up your UFA forward group. Uh, you've got Dylan Dubé, Glenn Gordon uh, are your RFAs. Uh, Dubé, for his part, he could be a, a guy that they'll absolutely want to resign. But again, in RFA, you've got some some leeway there. Um, you know, big names like Giordana Hannafin already signed. Nikita Nesterov might be the one defensive uh, UFA for me that's a big deal. Michael Stone as well. Um, but I, I think overall, this is a team that's in a pretty good spot in terms of, of what they need to do in the offseason. Maybe they try and go out and, and add some forward. Maybe they get somebody to take Milan Lucic, although his numbers this year were, were a little bit better, especially towards the tail end. But uh, I think at this point you're looking kind of minor tweaks around a, a pretty signed and established core here in, in Calgary. I guess you're leaving it for me to come up with the dirty rumors that Calgary fans don't want to hear. But Matthew Tuchuk apparently has gone to management saying he wouldn't mind a ticket out of town. Uh, he's on the final year of a $7 million cap hit. And I guess any team that wants him would really want some assurance that, that they could re-sign him. So that could be an interesting negotiation in the offseason. There's a lot of rumors that a uh, primary destination that he'd consider is in Ottawa to play with his brother. And that would be kind of an interesting situation with him and Brady Tuchuk. Boy, it'd be a minefield to play against those two guys. You think the Islanders' fourth line would be tough, but playing those two guys together would be putting yourself in a cement mixer for sure. Uh, if they don't deal to Chuck, there's also rumors about Johnny Gaudreau going to a U.S. locale. Uh, he has, in the last year of the contract, that will pay him $6.7 million. So they're right at the top of their uh, salary cap chart, two guys that will be in trade rumors until they're not. And so that's something to keep an eye on in the offseason. Certainly their goaltending situation is surround, it centers around Jacob, Jacob Markstrom. They're going to be looking for a backup. Louis Domingue could resign, I suppose, but they're looking for a placeholder behind Markstrom, who's still one of the top, uh, the busiest goalies in hockey year after year. Had another fine year, and he's got five years at $6 million on the back of, of that contract. They have... On defense, some questions that need to be answered. Oliver Shillington, 24 years old, is an RFA. Nikita Nesterov and Michael Stone are pending UFAs in their late 20s, early 30s. Uh, So you could do worse than than using those three guys to round out a defense that hasn't got too many question marks for me. Certainly, Mark Giordano continues to live up to his end of the bargain. 37 years old, still worth the big ticket on the back end, playing out probably his uh, final season next year at $6.7 million. A guy I have a lot of time for since uh, he and I share the same high school in Toronto as our uh, in our resumes. And I guess that's where the comparison ends there, I suppose. <laughs> AJ, up next, we're going to take a look at the next team in the alphabetical order, and that's the Carolina Hurricanes. They took a big step forward this year, winning their division in the regular season, but then they ran into the buzzsaw that was the Tampa Lightning. And uh, while this team is loaded for bear this season, and they don't have too many question marks in the offseason, they do have some in the nets. And uh, James Reimer, Peter Mrazek, and Alex Nedeljkovic all need new contracts. I'm going to suggest to you that Mrazek and Nedeljkovic won't be going anywhere far. That's the tandem that's going to be going forward. 
James Reimer probably looking for greener pastures elsewhere. And there'll be a market for his services. He's, he's got uh, a pretty good resume. And at 34 year, 33 years of age, I think there's still some runway left in his career. I, I hope so, and I wish him well. He's one of the best guys I got to know through my media contacts over the years in Toronto. A real good guy, and uh, I wish him well. On the back end, the top four are signed Slavin, Shea, Gardner, and Pesci. Gardner's got two years at $4 million. They'd certainly love to dump that deal, and you wonder if he, he's going to be picked up by the Seattle Kraken, uh, certainly be, a, be made available by, by the, the Carolina club. Up front, they've got uh, a bunch of their top forwards signed. You wonder what they do with Cedric Paquette, Jordan Martinuk, Brock McGinn, Warren Fogel, and Andrei Svechnikov, probably the signature player among the forwards. Beyond that, your comments on the situation in Carolina. Well, I mean, Dougie Hamilton and stop. I mean, that, that's the key. Look, there's there's a couple other guys you obviously would like to maybe have back in terms of the forward ranks in, in uh, Cedric Paquette, Jordan Martin Hook. Even Brock McGinn, I think, could be a, a, a solid keep for them. Uh, Andre Svechnikov needs a new deal. That'll be a big, uh, a big contract likely for him. They got to figure out the goaltending situation. Reimer, Mrazek, and Nedeljkovic all as you said, uh, free agents to, to varying degrees here. But, yeah, I mean, it's Dougie, Dougie Hamilton. Can you fit him in under the cap? Does he want to come back? Can you figure out a, a deal for him? So that's, that's basically what their offseason is. All of that, everything else is secondary to that. I'll jump into the Chicago Blackhawks here. Got 21 players under contract for next year, so just $6 million in terms of cap space remaining. But not a lot of work to do there. Uh, as a result, you've got, you know, uh, Vinny Hinestroza is a UFA. He rounds out their entire UFA group there with the exception of Zach Smith, who finished the year on uh, long-term IR, whether or not uh, they want him back at 33 years old. That, that's a, a wait-and-see situation. The other question is, I, I'm imagining at this point, Jonathan Taves is done, um, you know, after not playing all year, but he is under contract for two more seasons, so if he is able to come back, I'm, I'm sure they would love to have him there. Brent Seabrook in a, a similar position. Uh, he's got three more years under contract uh, to, to come back there. So uh, not a lot of UFA issues to deal with. Uh, RFA guys, Pius Sutter could use a contract. I, I would be surprised if they wanted to let Autumn get, Adam Gaudet leave uh, since they traded for him. But other than that, uh, I don't see a lot of big decisions for them in, in terms of the offseason. It's really going to come down to which, if any of those uh, LTIR guys are going to be coming back, uh, whether, you know, whether, like I said, Smith, whether they're going to resign him, are any of those other guys able to play, or, or are they basically going to spend another year uh, on, on IR? So that's the situation as I see it in, in the Windy City, Paul. What, uh, what do you make of it? Yeah, the key for me is what happens to Jonathan Taves. Does he want to come back? By all accounts, I think he does, and he's making noise about being uh, fit and ready to go and when the new season does return, and that eats up $10.5 million on the cap. Seabrook, I think, is going to retire if he hasn't already, AJ. I think that's the direction for him and Andrew Shaw uh, injuries to him uh, put him on the IR and you wonder if he's going to be back he's got one year left at 3.9 million after that for me it's the question in the, in the nets Kevin Lankinen came from nowhere to be a factor in the goaltending situation they've got him they've got Subban and they've got Delia for a total of 2.6 million dollars for the three goalies I think some combination of the two maybe Lankinen and Subban return 
or maybe Lankinen and Delia, but uh, I don't think they have any wiggle room to do much better than that in terms of their cap structure, and that could be an issue because they've really got to make the forwards that you mentioned a priority. Pius Sutter certainly impressed me and uh, made a case for a top-six role for much of the season, relegating Dylan Strom to the wing position, which is a misnomer for him. I don't think he's ideally cast there. He'll be playing out a $3 million cap hit. You wonder if he's a guy that will be made expendable in the expansion draft to uh, give them some roster flexibility and at the uh, in terms of the cap situation that they face. So that is the alarming situation in Chicago. Not much wiggle room for a team that needs some work uh, to get back in the mix, I think, when you're t- talking about being competitive. Up next, we're going to look at the Colorado Avalanche, a team that was at the top of the standings in the regular season with Vegas. Uh, an outstanding regular season, not so much in the postseason. And in the offseason, they got some work to do because they've got 11 players signed. They've got only $25 million to get it done. And the only is significant because two of the guys there are going to require big payouts, and that's up front in Gabriel Landeskog and Brandon Saad, both 28 years old and both central to the top six uh, forward grouping here and beyond that is some cheapies uh, to round it out if they want to go that route or else look elsewhere on the back end they've got a core four locked up but beyond that it's kale mccarr that's going to eat up another bunch of money uh, a guy for my for my dough is one of the uh, top com- maybe the top up-and-coming defenseman in hockey certainly should be a contender for the norris trophy for years to come he's already been a contender in my opinion at age 22 with the best years ahead of him in my opinion in the Nets, they've got pending UFA titles next to Philip Grubauer and Devin Dubnik. So you can quickly see why uh, they got a lot of money available. They've got four big guys to sign in the offseason. So that's their challenge. For me, I, you know, this is crazy to think, but, I, you know, I I got to say, I think Gabriel Landeskog is like the, maybe the least of your concerns there, as as insane as that sounds. I think you, the priority needs to be, as you said, uh, Kale McCarr. Uh, you know, he's, again, an RFA, so you don't have to worry as much about, like, losing him. Um, but, of course, we could always see an offer sheet get dropped or, or something like that. So I think Kale McCarr is the priority, number one. Um, net minding, obviously, a concern. Philip Grubauer is number two. Uh, and, and then I guess, you know, Gabriel Landeskog would, would come in three, but – are you better off signing a, a poor man's Gabriel Landeskog and Brandon Saad? Um, you know, he's going to come in cheaper, doesn't offer nearly the same. You know, I'm not saying they're they're replaceable necessarily, but he could fit in nicely, at least with with uh, McKinnon and Rantanen uh, to fill out that top line. So uh, I, I do think they want, you know, they should want to re-sign him, obviously, but it's also a situation where, they might, from a protection, you know, uh, a draft protection scenario, maybe they want to hold off on re-signing him until after the, the Seattle draft, which could open the door for him to actually test free agency and see what's out there. So, uh, again, I, I can't imagine that they don't want him back, and, and to see him go somewhere else would, would obviously be hard for, for Avs fans, but it is something that I, I think he's not – the biggest priority heading into this off season. Um, one team that does have, uh, you know, some priorities to figure out here is the Columbus blue jackets with 19 players signed, uh, plenty of space, uh, 23 million in, in cap space, 
a good chunk of that will probably have to go to Patrick Line. He's going to be an RFA. They obviously changed the coaching situation there, so that could hopefully help him uh, stick around and, and not, you know, once again demand a trade. They have Al, uh, Alexander Texier has to get paid as well. Cole Sherwood, uh, a couple bottom, you know, guys, Zach Delp, Mikhail Gregorenko, Stefan Meto, uh, Ryan McGinnis, you know, and none of those are going to be big pieces. So the, the clear one, obviously, in forward is Patrick Laine. They've got their goalies locked up. Uh, you know, minor adjustments in terms of, of the, the defense here. Guys that aren't under contract, Michael Delzato, Andrew Peake, and Miko Lettinen, uh, you know, take them or leave them, I guess. You know, they've got a bunch of other guys under contract. Maybe Lettinen is the one kind of key piece there for, for, for my money. So, you know, I, I think obviously once they get the line aid deal figured out, I, I think it's pretty much smooth sailing there. And again, just, just some tweaks here as far as I see it, Paul. I guess you're right about that. And uh, we'll get to Nick Foligno and his situation. There was a, early on, there were rumors that he would go back to Columbus and maybe something was already in place. But I'm also hearing that he may be retained in Toronto. We'll get to that situation a little bit later on in the show. But that's the only other Columbus in tidbit that I have to add to what you're saying. Up next, we look at the Dallas Stars. They have $15 million remaining. They've already signed 16 players, so they got seven players to get. That means a little more than two per. And uh, when you look at the names, Andrew Cogliano, uh, at age 34, won't command a lot of money. And Jason Dickinson came from uh, to become one of the top rookies in the NHL this year. So he'll be needing a new deal as an RFA. Ditto for Yoel Kiviranta. These are two guys that should factor into their top six here going forward. Justin Dowling is a depth player who should command a lot less. And that's your forward solved. And then on the back end, Sammy Vatman, does he find greener pastures? He's a pending UFA once again. It seems like every year we're talking about this guy needing a new contract. He's been very shrewd about <laughs> getting the most out of his career for sure. Jamie Alexiak has got to be a guy that they look at to throw some money at and keep him in the mix. Ditto for Miro Heiskanen. So they've got some issues in terms of fitting all those names in with that money left to spend. So you wonder if there's a deal somewhere else to free up some cash. Joe Pavelski sitting there with $7 million on his cap hit. Boy, I wonder if uh, Joe would be a guy that they'd like to move. I don't know. He's been central to their offense ever since he arrived. So uh, question marks for me on Dallas. How do you solve this puzzle, AJ, or do you have any thoughts? Uh, I mean, I think the the biggest way you could solve this puzzle is, you know, freeing up a couple mil by letting, uh, you know, FAXA maybe or hints, maybe not hints, probably FAXA be exposed in the expansion draft. That's 3.2 million um, that you could bank if if they took him there. Uh, You obviously don't want Heiskanen to walk. Uh, he'll, he'll need that new deal. And I think Kivaranta and Dickinson have done enough to warrant keeping around a little bit longer. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's some, some question marks there. Uh, the other one is, you know, between, between the pipes, right. You know, is Ben Bishop going to be ready to play? Um, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, you know, they've got just under 5 million wrapped up in him. They've got another 3.3 in Anton Hudobin for another, uh, two years. So, uh, and and what do they want to do in terms of, you know, they can only protect one. Is the other going to garner any interest from Seattle? I don't know. I think there's going to probably be some better goaltenders available, so maybe not. But is it time to also give a guy like Jake Ottinger a, a, a more extended look with the senior club? And so, um, yeah, some tough decisions. I agree with that. Paul Miro, Heiskanen, obviously, for me, 
being the key there, but you could let um, and hope maybe a guy like Faxa would uh, get selected here and, and free you up, give you a little more roster flexibility. In Detroit, it's all about roster flexibility as they've got $48 million available to spend in just 10 guys, a, a ridiculous 10 guys <laughs> signed for next season. You're talking, uh, you know, you've got uh, signed guys. We could run through them real quick. Larkin, Nielsen, Fabry, Panic, Nemesnikov, and Philip Zadina, the Kaiser Stetcher, Wyatt Newpower, who most of you have probably never heard of, and Thomas Grice. That's it. So the big name guys that you're talking about uh, keeping around are going to need some new contracts. I absolutely think they should re-sign Bobby Ryan. I think he had a good year going for them um, before he uh, had to uh, exit due to injury at the end of the season. Sam Gagne is another UFA that I think is worth keeping around for another year. The RFA group is pretty sizable when you look at both forwards and defense. Uh, Evgeny Sveshnikov, has he done enough? Where is that contract going to work out? Michael Rasmussen, another name in there. Of course, Tyler Bertuzzi being the biggest one in terms of the forward complement, in my opinion, among the, the RFAs. On the back end, it's Philip Ronick, Dennis Cholisky. Uh, what are you going to do with them? Do you bring Mark Stahl back for another year? That That's a big question. He's a UFA. And then between the pipes, do you roll with Thomas Grice and, and maybe – uh, you know, maybe bring in a, a Caden Fulcher. Uh, would you re-sign a Calvin Picard or, you know, maybe, or do you try and get Jonathan Bernier to come back and, and bring him in? So a lot of decisions to be made here. Uh, I forgot to mention Luke Glenn Denning, of course, uh, going to be a UFA. So uh, a lot of work to be done in Detroit and, and they're going to have uh, some tough decisions to make here. Yeah. And one more name that you can add to that list is Jack. Jakob Vrana, they got him from the Washington Capitals. He's a pending RFA, only 25 years old of age, and really showed his offensive skill in his time in Detroit, and he'll be a fixture as a top-six guy for, for a while. But uh, I'm excited for Wings fans because Steve Eisenman's at the helm, and he knows how to rebuild a franchise. And look at the draft situation that they, fa- they have and, uh, to look forward to. they got 11 picks in the first five rounds of this upcoming draft, including two first-rounders and three second-rounders. So expect the Wings to be busy and expect this rebuild to go into overdrive this offseason in Detroit. It's incapable hands, though. Edmonton Oilers, this is another team. Well, you talk about the capable hands. It's the former Detroit GM is now the GM at the helm here. So uh, he's tasked with with fixing things up on a team that that has some holes behind their big two up front. Uh, Certainly that's eating up $21 million of their cap with McDavid and Dreisaitl. But uh, they have $21 million to spend, and they have five players to get. And I've heard the name of Zach Hyman linked with the Detroit, with the Edmonton Oilers franchise. It's a team that got to see him a lot in head-to-head action. And if a uh, team's going to throw big money at Hyman, I think this could be one of them. So that might be a dotted line relationship that we could see uh, connecting in the offseason. But among the players that are UFAs and RFAs in, in Edmonton, there's Alex Chason is a guy that's been central to this offense as a second or third liner for for a couple of years now and i think they'll find a way to put him in there jujar kyra is a guy that has uh, the same profile ryan nugent hopkins probably the biggest profile of names on the uh, on the outside looking in without a contract here he's 28 and uh, he is definitely central piece of this offense and for sure a top six player they'd like to get re-signed i think and uh, beyond that kyler yamamoto and dominic Cahoon 
are capable offensive pieces too that that require new contracts on the back end slater cuckoo tyson Berry. you wonder if he's uh, one and done in edmonton again just like he was in toronto dmitry kulikov a defensive defenseman at age 30 needs another deal and ditto for adam larson so they can cherry pick some of the guys that they want to retain i wonder aj which ones do you bring back and uh, does that include mike smith at age 39 well, for me, the first question I need to answer is none of those that, that you pose here, and it's whether or not Oscar Kleffbaum is going to be able to play at the start of the season. That's four point one, almost $4.2 million against the cap. Uh, if he's not able to go, uh, then you can put him on LTIR and you can make some different decisions here. Once they know that, then, of course, the priority becomes Ryan Nugent Hopkins 100%. For me, Kyler Yamamoto, Dominic Cahoon, uh, Juju Kahara should all get new contracts, absolutely. To maybe let Chase on or Tyler Ennis walk, in in my opinion. Um, defensively, not sure. You know, Adam Larson would probably be the most likely to bring back, but I think it's time for them to make way for some of these younger guys to get more opportunities, like Caleb Jones, Ethan Bear. Um, so, for my part, if I if I'm running the organization, I know he's one of your leadership guys. That I, I might let Adam Larson test free agency. And I think whether or not to keep Mike Smith depends on what else might be out there. I'm being totally honest here. I think I let him test the market. You obviously risk losing him, um, but you are unfortunately tied to Miko Koskinen for another year um, at 4.5 million. I don't think even if they decided to leave him unprotected, I don't see a situation in which Seattle would take Koskinen. So I don't think they really have to worry about that. So I think you need to figure out, um, you know, what the, what the, whether Mike Smith is going to play and what his price point is, and then go from there and what other options you have on the market. So that, that's where I would go with that. Uh, I'll dive in next, uh, from, from there, we'll take a look at the Florida Panthers. They've got, uh, looks like 13 million in cap space available, 19 guys under contract. Your biggest free agent, uh, in my opinion, among the four groups going to be Sam Bennett. Who's going to be an RFA. I think he did plenty enough in the offseason there to warrant a new deal. Anthony Duclair, Alex Weinberg, also guys who are going to need new contracts on the back end. It's uh, not much in terms of the defense. Maybe Brandon Montour, if they want to keep him around. Goaltending, the question is going to be Chris Dreger. I expect he will want to look for an alternative option, even if Florida does want to keep him. He'll probably want to try and find somewhere that he could maybe play some more some more minutes. That's uh, the quick and dirty in terms of what I see out of Florida, Paul. Yeah, I think Dreger is a guy that I'd like least to take a look at. Everywhere, every time I talk about Dreger, it's a guy who has a low goals against average and a high save percentage, and he's outperformed Bobrovsky in large stretches of his time here. So that's a guy I think that that. We'll have no shortage of suitors in the offseason. Brandon Montour, the same for him, I would say. And up front, Wenberg should get a new deal here, in my opinion. But you're right, Sam Bennett showed well enough that he has to be the priority. And then maybe Anthony Duclair, a second one there. Nikita Gusev might be the bronze medalist among the forwards. They've got only a few players to fit in here, and uh, they've got a wealth of options. So uh, some good players might be wearing different sweaters instead of Florida this year. AJ, up next, what do we got here? We got the, let me go back to the alphabetical order and fire it up. And we talk about the LA Kings 
And uh, this is a situation the Kings have 20, almost $20 million left to sign four players, so no shortage of money for sure, and maybe a lot, a lot of their work is already done. Andreas Athanasiu has to be the signature piece that they want to bring back uh, up front. He showed well enough in, in top six roles here that he should be a centerpiece of the, this group going forward for, for the foreseeable future at age 26. Trevor Moore, probably a little a lower contract uh, than Athanasiu will command, but also uh, an important enough piece in the mix. And then on the back end, Christian Wolanin, uh, bit player. They got seven guys already on the defense. So I don't know what else they do in here in Los Angeles. A lot of the work is done in terms of new, uh, the contracts in place. Is there anybody that you see that I've missed out? No, there's nothing that I see that you miss out. I think the question is who to protect uh, in the goals. Do you do you consider protecting Cal Pedersen and, and risk moving on from Jonathan Quick and or just upsetting Jonathan Quick? Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, in terms of re-signing, you're right. Most of the work is done. Figure out what AA is doing uh, for next year and, and get him on a contract, which isn't going to be a cheap one, but I, I think they can certainly figure it out there. In Minnesota, uh, a few more question marks for them, starting uh, obviously with potential Calder Trophy winner here, Kirill Kaprasov, who's going to be a restricted free agent, needs a new deal. They've also got Kevin Fiala, Joel Erickson-Eck, all in need of new contracts. I don't really see this club bringing back uh, Nick Benino or Nick Bugstad. Maybe one of them, definitely not both. Marcus Johansson could be an option for them, depending on how that arm heals up. On the back end, I, I do expect them to bring back Ian Cole only because I imagine uh, if they decide to only protect three defensemen, I would guess that the fourth one they leave unprotected, whether that's Urgent, Sutter, Brodeen, or Dumba, I would expect one of those guys to get taken by Seattle unless they do opt to protect all of them. So if they lose a guy, I think Ian Cole is a solid bottom uh, third pairing guy that they'll bring back. Goaltenders are pretty solid. Cam Talbot and Capocacanin uh, both locked up. That's the way I see it, Paul. How about you? Well, they got $22 million for nine players, and, boy, you can see that the RFAs are going to eat up a lot of that, though. Fiala, Eriksson, Eck, and Kirill Kaprasov, you can think that's about 8 or $9 million minimum done right there. So they're going to be up against it real quick, and it'll be interesting to see how they shoehorn the rest of their lineup together. And a year out from now, we'll be talking about Capocacanin's situation. He's playing out... A $725,000 tab this year before he becomes an RFA next year. So they're a year out from possibly being in some sort of cap jail situation, I'll suggest. And uh, now, look at this. I get to talk about the Montreal Canadiens again. Boy, oh boy, life is life is grand. <laughs> you know what, uh, AJ, they shocked the world this year, there's no question. And uh, they're going to have some work to do in the offseason because a lot of the guys have really done themselves a service in terms of building their case for new deals. They have 20 players signed for $70 million. So they got $10 million to sign a bunch of players that are potential UFAs heading into the offseason. Corey Perry at age 36, has he done enough to get a new deal? I say absolutely yes. Ditto for Yoel Armia. Uh, Philip Deneau, also a guy that's going to hit the pay window hard in the offseason too. Uh, Eric Stahl, you might make a case. If he wants to do a, a victory lap on his career, he's at 36 years of age. Has he done enough? I think he has. And Arturi Lekkonen, he's already a part of folklore here, having gotten the goal that gets them into the next round. He's a pending RFA. Yes, Barry Kotkaniemi. So there's six names just among the forwards. They're going to eat up at least the the money that's available under the cap. And that means what do they do on defense? John Merrill, Eric Gustafsson, 
and Kale Fleury need new deals back there. Does any one of them get one? They've got seven guys signed already. Carey Price eating up $10 million, but looking well worth it. He's got four more years to run on a $10.5 million cap hit. They've got the insurance policy of Jake Allen for another couple of seasons at 2.8275, so their goaltending is set. And Jonathan Drouin is uh, on LTIR for two more seasons at $5.5 million. You wonder, just for their bookkeeping, if they want to move him for a, a draft pick, with a draft pick to get him off the books here, if that's a concern in Montreal. But other than that, they also have dead cap money in Kyle Alsner, which we haven't talked about dead cap money situations, but he's going to eat up almost $2 million next year, so that hampers them as well. And uh, you can't move that money, sadly. So uh, a bit of a cap jail situation for the Habs, AJ. Uh, which of the forwards do you think is odds-on to come back, and who would you uh, expect to see in a new jersey next year? Yeah, I think that, you know, the the guys that they need to bring back are, are the, I agree with you, you know, Armia, Perry, um, you know, Deneau, uh, Arturi Lekkanen, I would bring back Thomas Tatar. If, if he's been hurt, maybe bring him back. Um, but if he's been a healthy scratch, there's no reason to bring him back. Uh, Michael Froelich, I think could go as well. Uh, Eric Stahl hasn't done much with them. Uh, another guy that, that I think they could find expendable. And, and yeah, I mean, by all accounts, Jonathan Druin is not necessarily done playing. Uh, it's not like an injury concern. As far as we know, it sounds like more of like a personal issue. So it, it's kind of unclear um, on, on what his status is. They, they talked about it today, actually. They, they asked the coach about it, and he basically just said the team's giving him the space he needs uh, to be away from the club. So I, I don't know that he's done done for sure. So that's obviously would factor into all those uh, decisions and, and everything there. In Nashville, they've got uh, 15 players under contract, 18 million in cap space available. Uh, I would say the kind of big keys on, on the forward groups uh, are, are probably Mikhail Granlin. I don't know that Eric Hall has really done enough to, to warrant some concern as to whether, you know, if he doesn't come back, I think they could find somebody else either within the market or, or within the team or on the market to, to fill that spot. Eli Tolvanen is a player that's going to need a new deal. But again, RFA, don't have to worry really too much about losing him. Same with Dante Fabro. Uh, UC Saros needs a new contract. That's probably their biggest uh, situation. Again, another guy that's an RFA. And do you give Pekka Rene another deal uh, to come back as a backup? Does he want to come back as a backup at 38 years old? Uh, is a question there so there are some some questions uh for for the predators but most of them are rfas so you don't have quite that same feel or fear rather of of losing guys um and so then i I think they're in a pretty good spot here paul yeah i do too i think dante fabro is a guy that needs to deal on on the deal on the back end uh, and then maybe you look up front and you say okay let's give the deal to eli tolvanen and uh, beyond that, I think you should be fishing for, for better options than what they have in, in tow. So not too much work left for Minnesota, in my opinion. Up next, then, we're going to go to Magic. Uh, the next team is up is the New Jersey Devils, AJ. And uh, they are a team that's loaded in terms of drafting the first first round with two picks. And uh, they've got multiple picks in a couple of rounds in the upcoming draft. Uh, in the next two seasons but this this offseason is about spending 37 million dollars that are available to them on 10 players so they can go big 
if they want. They haven't in the past, and uh, among their options in-house, Yanni Kokonen, Igor Sharangovich, they had pretty nice uh, seasons uh, fighting their way into top six minutes in both situations. Uh, beyond that, Nick Merkley and Michael McLeod haven't quite shown as much. They're all four RFAs, so uh, beyond Kokonen and Sharangovich, I think they go fishing in the offseason for to bolster that offense on the back end they've only got four guys signed and ryan murray's bounced around same as jonas siegenthaler so again they can go fishing for for better quality among the defensemen so uh, this is one team that should be busy in the offseason they also have to find a backup goalie behind mackenzie blackwood who's on the books for 2.8 million for the next two years so a lot of room and a a lot of wiggle room for this team and you wonder how active they're going to be in the offseason for me, I think, you know, the priority has to be uh, looking ahead to, to next season. Honestly, I, th- I think anybody that they would bring in under free agency, I, I would look at one-year contracts um, to try and hopefully get those guys back off the books because you're looking an extra year out. You've got Miles Wood, Jasper Brad, Pavel Zaka, Jasper Bachquist, Jack Hughes. Um, all those guys going to need new contracts heading into 22-23. Um, so for me, I think that it's kind of a future cap management system. I do think getting all four guys that you mentioned among the forward ranks back is, is kind of a key there. Um, but really, it's, it's managing that cap for the future. I think that's the priority for the New Jersey Devils. On Long Island, uh, you know, you've got about $5 million, uh, in cap space here. Your biggest question mark are the guys that you added uh, heading into the playoffs. That's Kyle Palmieri, Travis Sajak. I think Palmieri certainly showed enough to warrant bringing Brutt back. Um, I don't think they need Travis Sajak back, that's for sure. Casey Sezikis, part of that fourth line, I think he makes sense there. Anthony Bolivier uh, for you know the RFA, uh, it will be kind of the key there. Adam Pellet, I think, is another one. Um, that's going to be an RFA on the back end. And then Ilya Sorokin going to need a new deal. But again, tied up as an RFA, so a little bit more movement and freedom there. They'll hopefully get Anders Lee back and healthy and and good to go so that they'll be all set moving into uh, next season there. All right. Sorry for the delay there, AJ. Uh, Looking up next... We're talking about the Ottawa Senators and, uh, sorry, did I jump a team? I think I did. New York Rangers. New York Rangers. The New York Rangers are up next, and we're going to talk about the fact that they have a handful of players available on free agency, but you wonder what's going to happen with the enigma that is Alex Anthony D'Angelo. I wonder if he's looking to play hockey anymore. He's on the books for 3.675, buried right now uh, in, in terms of salary cap situation. So that's a question they got to get answered. In the offseason, they have $23 million to sign six players. Among the candidates to be re-signed, Phil DiGiuseppe, Pavel Buknevich, and uh, Philip Kiedel are, are the top guys that I see on the forward ranks. On the back end, it's Brendan Smith and Libor Hajek, who are options that haven't been re-signed. And in net, Igor Shosturkin has definitely shown enough to get a new deal. I think he's going to eat up much of what's available under the cap uh, going forward there, AJ. That's it in a nutshell in the New York Rangers analysis for me. Yeah, I, I don't have much to add there, so I'll, t- I'll take us into the Ottawa Senators, the team that you were eager to start talking <laughs> about there. Um, you know, for, for my money, I think the, the biggest question, Mark, heading into the offseason is uh, Brady Tuchuk. He's going to be an RFA, needs a new deal. 
uh, and, and getting him signed and under contract there. After that, Artem Anisimov, Ryan Zingo, both going to be UFAs and, and I think worthy of new contracts as well. Uh, Michael Amato, Drake Batherson will need new deals. Victor Mete will need a new deal, but those are less priority than I think uh, some of the aforementioned guys. So that's where I would go in, in terms of uh, who to sign and what to do there. Um, you know, there, there's not much else uh, worrying. Maybe Marcus Hogberg to be your backup netminder, but they could pivot and decide they want to use Anton Forsberg instead behind Matt Murray. Um, but, uh, you know, Hogberg's going to be an RFA, so no reason to lose him for nothing, in my opinion, there. Yeah, you've got a lot of roster flexibility with $28 million to spend, but you wonder if Eugene Malnick is bent on keeping it cheap there, so that's the only issue that I see. No yeah, what's the, what's the cap floor next year? Do we know that? That's <laughs> probably about where Ottawa is going to spend, too. You, you wonder, but they're, and they're almost there, I think. But Dzingel, uh, Anisimov, Batherson for sure needs a big deal, and Brady Tuchuk as well. So much of that money can go quickly to to those forwards. Victor Mete is a guy I think who showed enough to get a look uh, again in Ottawa. And uh, you're right, the goaltending situation is pretty locked down in terms of Murray and Forsberg. You wondered Hogberg going to get a look as well, and uh, so that's it in the Ottawa situation. A lot of flexibility, but do they want to spend? And that's the question. Uh, we're getting closer to your favorite club, AJ. So I hope you're warmed up to talk about that. But first, we've got to get through the Philadelphia Flyers and their situation. This is a team that has $68 million spent, $13 million to go. And do you know they're going to go to the cap? They've got six players to get to get to the number of 23. That is uh, the max that you can have, I believe, under contract on the, on the pros. So the work there is uh, almost done up front. But Nolan Patrick is the question mark for me. Uh, poor guy's been injury-riddled since he came into this league. Uh, it was a very high draft pick, and I wonder if they're going to pivot away from him. Uh, Carson Twarinski is the only other forward that is a question mark uh, for me, but uh, other than that, they're pretty set up front. Uh, they can go fishing for, for one more piece elsewhere, I guess one or two elsewhere if they want. Uh, on the back end, it's Samuel Morant and Travis Sanheim. Travis Sanheim is probably the most important uh, of their UFAs among the, their, the skaters, I'll say, and 25 years of age, he figures to be in the top four here if uh, he's re-signed. But then they've really got some issues on the, on the goaltending situation. A.J. Carter Hart had a very troubling year for me. This guy looked to be the answer, and that's the question that was unanswered for years here, but he had a very poor season at age 22. The question is how much did it cost him in terms of the salary that he can command going forward. He's a pending RFA, and that's going to be the most interesting uh, negotiation in this offseason. And beyond that, does Brian Elliott want to come back to uh, play in his age 37 season? If he doesn't, they're going to probably look at Alex Lyon to finally make the grade as a regular goalie in this league who has been up and down in the minors uh, and Philly for much of his career at age 28 uh, heading into next season. Morgan Frost on injured reserve. I have a personal affinity for this guy because of a mutual a friend in the, in the sports industry in Toronto, and I hope that he can get his career right. This guy was a first-round draft pick and fell on injured times and uh, needs to be re-up beyond next season, but if he comes back, uh, he's still on the entry-level deal next year, so just a shout-out to Morgan Frost. Hope he's getting better. <laughs> in any case, AJ, what do you say about the Flyers' situation? I say let's talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins and we'll just move along there. Um, they've got just $3 million available in cap space, but by all accounts, they're going to hope 
that Seattle will do them a favor and possibly dangle Jason Zucker out there, which would free up about 5.5 or possibly even uh, Marcus Pedersen or Michael Matheson, both of whom are making north of $4 million. So that'll be where Pittsburgh gets their cap space. They're likely to spend it on uh, Teddy Bluger, Zach Aston Reese, and possibly even Freddie Gaudreau, who had a really good postseason. Um, and I think they're interested in keeping him. But other than that, there's not too many concerns heading into this season. But of course, all the talk every offseason moving forward for the Penguins will be what happens next with Evgeny Malkin and Chris Lutang, who are both set to enter the final years of their contract here. Uh, that is going to be the focus for Pittsburgh. That combined with the fact that Brian Rust also entering the final year of his contract. So it's more about the future for Pittsburgh. There are some questions they need to answer for the now, um, but it'll be looking ahead for Ron Hextall as he enters his first offseason as a Penguins GM. Yeah, and the only thing I'll add is what a, whatever happens to Cody Cece, he had a fine year by your accounts. I, I didn't get to watch him as closely as you did, but can they shoehorn him into the roster? I don't know. He, uh, they, they have a depth already on defense that's pretty significant and pretty quality in my estimation too. So not a, not a dire circumstance, but a name worth mentioning. San Jose Sharks, $71 million already committed, 15 players under contract. That means they've got to somehow get eight more players for $10 million. That's going to be a challenge when you consider some of the names on this list. Ryan Donato is a guy who's an RFA who I think they need to get signed. Ditto for Marcus Sorensen is a pending UFA. And then Rudy Balsers is a third guy that I'll mention. <coughs> Excuse me, on the forward ranks uh, among the, the names that are out there. In terms of the RFAs on the back end, Christian Jaros is the only other guy that's uh, in the organization at the pro level. They've got six guys already signed. In net, they're going to need another goalie behind Martin Jones to push him. He's already commanding $5.7 million. So you can see it's going to be difficult to fit uh, the 23 names uh, under the roster when they have such little uh, cap space remaining here. Uh, that's going to be a challenge, and we'll be watching closely. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they uh, leave Marty Jones unprotected or not. They, they've obviously, he's underwhelmed in recent years. Um, he has a pretty con- uh, pretty set, like, uh, no-trade clause. By all accounts, according to our friends at Cap Friendly, he submits a three-team trade list. That's, that's a pretty small <laughs> set of teams. So they would obviously need his approval to leave him uh, exposed there in the Seattle draft. So it'll be interesting to see uh, if, if that's an option for them. We'll take a look at the next team in our alphabetical order, and that's the Seattle Kraken, uh, who have $81.5 million available in cap space. No players signed. Uh, they do have one contract. They, they signed their first ever player uh, in, in Luke Hen- Henman. Uh, but other than that, they got a long way to go before next season. Uh, in all seriousness, though, we'll move on to the St. Louis Blues here. $17 million available in space. 17 players signed. The big question mark for them, I think, is Mike Hoffman. Do you bring him back? Jaden Schwartz as well. Uh, some youngsters that need new contracts. Ivan Barbashev, Zachary Sanford, Jordan Kyrou, Robert Thomas. All those four guys can be RFA. So a uh, little bit unsettled in the forward ranks. Vince Dunn will need a new contract as an RFA, although by all accounts he's probably going to be exposed in the Seattle expansion draft and by, you know, a number of mock drafts that I've seen across various different platforms, he could be the guy 
they're just taken from St. Louis. So that would kind of ease a headache for them, not having to figure that out if he's not there anymore. Net mining is, is all squared away for next year. Um, so the, the forward group is really the biggest thing. For me, Hoffman's the biggest question mark, although I could certainly see somebody making a case for what to do about James Schwartz taking priority. Yeah, I think those are the two big names there. Jordan Cairo also had uh, a nice second half of the season this past season, so uh, Zachary Sanford and he will also be of interest to the Blues to try and retain him. Ditto for Robert Thomas. So there's some quality among all the forwards, and that's where the heavy lifting will have to be done by this club in this off season. And we're getting to the team that I think is going to win the Stanley Cup in a couple of weeks, and that's the Tampa Lightning. And uh, some people were saying, kind of tongue-in-cheek, this team was $18 million over the cap this season with some of the shenanigans that they were able to pull legitimately under the current cap uh, salary cap situation. And uh, having they still have Marion Gabarik and Anders Nilsson uh, listed here, but they're not going to be on the books at all next year uh, in terms of the in LTIR. So we can ditch that and uh, instead focus on the on-ice contributors that need to factor in. I guess Barkley Gaudreau as part of that third line and Blake Coleman, they're two UFAs that are looking to get new deals. Ross Colton has done enough to get a look as another guy who factors into the bottom six years. So that's three names. I'm on the forward ranks. On the back end, David Savard was a luxury item that they were able to pick up in the trade deadline. I wonder if they have the ability to get him back. Beyond that, it's trying to fit in the likes of Luke Shen and Andreas Borgman, but also Cal Foote as a pending RFA and a highly regarded defenseman prospect as a guy that I'll be wondering how they fit any of these guys in here, AJ, with the narrow band that they have in terms of available money going forward. I think it's crazy to think, like, you look at these guys that are uh, potential free agents here, whether UFA or RFA, and there's, there's certainly guys that they would probably like to have back and that have played significant roles uh, in the in the cup run here, but nobody that's a major piece. So uh, are we, you know, do we have the potential to see a three-peat here when you talk about Kucherov, Stamkos, Point, Palat, Gord, Johnson, Sorelli, Kalorn, all signed for next season. Um, so, you know, there's Vasilevsky, obviously, Hedman signed. So uh, it'll, it'll take some some tweaks around the edges. Some guys won't be back just because, uh, they'll have to actually factor in Nikita Kucherov against the cap next year by all accounts. But this is a, a difficult team to get past now, and, and they're not losing a whole lot here uh, in, in terms of what that looks like. Obviously, the expansion draft will factor in there as well. Um, I'll take us in quickly to the Toronto Maple Leafs just to run it in for you, Paul, and then I'll head it over to you. 15 players signed under contract 11.7 million remaining your ufas are a bunch of guys that uh, were added in the, in the last year or two here uh you've got nick felino obviously wayne simmons riley nash alex galchenyuk zach hyman and jumbo joe thornton all guys uh on the back halves of their career except for maybe hyman uh you know well galchenyuk is only 27 but he plays like he's on the back half of his career um <laughs> Uh, defensively, you've got Ben Hutton, Zach Bogosian, and then obviously the one big name here is Freddie Anderson and what to do there. Before I pass it to you, Paul, I will do our annual reminder that next year Phil Kessel will be earning $1.2 million <laughs> from the Toronto Maple Leafs 
to play for somebody else. That's the last year we're going to have to be able to say that. So <laughs> that'll give them a little more flexibility, and they need all they can find right now. And the deal is this. If they can't get Hyman re-signed, I think you're going to see Nick Foligno back. You won't see both of them. Wayne Simmons comes back only if he comes back for barely above the league minimum. Ditto for Riley Nash and Alex Galchenyuk. So that's the name of the tune there on the forward ranks. And maybe they'll get more flexibility if they can somehow get uh, – the Seattle team to take Alex Kerfoot off their, their hands. He signed up for $3.5 million. That's a luxury item. Third line center paying, getting paid that much money here. They've already committed to the top four and saying they're not going to move any of those guys up front. So Kerfoot seems to be the guy that will help this team get out of cap jail. They have Jack Campbell signed for one more year at $1.6 million. So a year out from now, they're going to be looking at what do they do with Morgan Riley? What do they do with, with, uh, the goalie situation, Campbell, and uh, I think Freddie Anderson and his days are done here, uh, sadly. Uh, I was a big fan of him, and he helped to uh, redirect this team to better days since he was on, on side here. But he'll be playing elsewhere, and uh, they'll be looking for another cheap option to fill in in the goalie situation here. So it's finding cheap value, finding guys that want to play for uh, one of the more storied franchises, even though it's one of the more success-starved franchises in the NHL. That's going to be the selling feature in Toronto, AJ. And going forward now, we only have a few teams left, and uh, the next one is the Vancouver Canucks, and they've signed the Sedins to be part of the management team here. So uh, what they can do to alleviate things, it'll, it'll be it remains to be seen, but they've got eight players to get with $15 million to spend, so they do have enough money to get it done, I suppose, if you're looking at almost $2 million per, but uh, the likes of Brandon Sutter and uh, Jimmy Vesey, I guess, are the big names up front, if you want to call them big names. Uh, Jace Horlock, Travis Boyd, and um, Matthew Highmore, uh, sorry, not Matthew Highmore, uh, Mike Mark McCallick. So you can see there's not big names there up front. So maybe they do go hunting for for some value players among the forward ranks. On the back end, it's a little dicier. They've only got three guys signed, and one of them includes is uh, Jack Rathbone, who wasn't a regular among the mix here. So Alex Adler, Travis Hemenick, Ole Olivi, Quinn Hughes, all four of these guys need new, new deals, and that's going to eat up much of the available space here. They're set in the nets with Thatcher Denko and Braden Holtby, but they're paying him an awful lot of money, $9 million, dollars to $100,000 between the two. And then uh, they've got some guys on the uh, LTIR that uh, you wonder what kind of a deal Alex uh, Elias Pettersson is going to command. He's a pending RFA at age 22, but had an injury-marred season. Uh, ditto for Jay Beagle and Michael Furland, but certainly the key piece is what to do with that young superstar going forward. Well, I'll take us over to, to the Golden Knights uh, right away here. And, and this is a team that's $6 million available uh, in cap space, 18 players signed under contract. Look, the guys uh, bringing back the one name here is Alec Martinez, 33 years old, of course, but uh, getting him under contract, again, I, I think will be a priority for this club and, and sign, re-signing him. But other than that, you know, you've got Thomas Nosek, Matthias Janmark. I, I don't necessarily think you need to pay a premium for either of those guys. I would let them test the market and, and see what you can get in terms of a return. That that would be my approach. And then the other question that, that has come up and, and will probably dominate the news cycle as it comes to Vegas heading into the offseason is the goaltending. Do you continue to commit $12 million to two different guys or do you try and move Marc-Andre Fleury in the last year of that deal that they gave him 
he does hold a, a bit of a modified no trade clause, so that'll obviously complicate the situation a little bit for them um, in, in terms of what they can figure out there. But I think that more than anything else uh, will, will be the focal point for this team in the offseason. Do they roll with both guys? They're both under contract, so they certainly could. Or do they try and move a different direction in order to free up some cap space? All of that's well said, AJ. So I'm going to take us to Washington Capitals and uh, their situation. They've got $72 million spent, $9 million uh, available for five players to get. And one of those guys is Alex Ovechkin. So you know that they've got to do some uh, some tweaking of this roster in order to free up the cash that's necessary. I don't think I don't know that Sedano Jar has made a decision on returning. He's at forty four years of age. Uh, he'll only cost a million anyway to anybody that wants to resign him if he wants to extend the career. Paul Ladue is a useful defenseman that probably will find greener pastures to apply his trade. And then in the Nets, Vitek Vanasek, to me, showed enough to, to say that the goaltending is in good hands between him and Samsonov. If Samsonov can come back healthy next year in the Nets, uh, he's a pending RFA that does need to be re-signed as well. So they've got some, some uh, manipulating to do. And the one name that I'm hearing that is being dangled in trade talk is Evgeny Kuznetsov. If they can send him away with the $7.8 million that he's owed in the next four years, they will have some flexibility to do all that needs to be done, but that will certainly weaken the top six up front. A quick comment from you before you take us into the final team in Winnipeg. Well, I just think that would be a terrible decision. <laughs> if I'm being totally blunt, I mean, yeah, it costs a lot, um, but... This is another player that, you know, maybe not to the same, obviously not to the same level as, as Jack Eichel there, but like it's another player you're never going to get a return that's worth his actual value. Um, so I, I wouldn't consider doing it. I would try and find some space uh, another way. In Winnipeg, they've got uh, $20 million in cap space available, just 13 guys signed under contract here. And uh, some some questions to answer, obviously. The the biggest one for me is actually Neil Pionk. I think uh, he's an RFA. He had a good season for them. He's a solid top four, even top pairing defenseman for them, depending on the setup. So getting him signed and under contract will be huge. They've got Paul Stastny to figure out again. Um, they find themselves trying to re-sign Paul Stastny after acquiring him via trade. Um, so they'll they'll try and lock that one in. Can Brian Little play, um, you know, miss another year after that injury? I, I think the answer is probably no at this point. That'll be 5.2, almost 5.3 million of, of uh, LTIR space that they'll have to utilize uh, for the next three years if, if he has truly played his last game. Defensively, uh, another name I'll throw out, Derek Forbert. Not a guy that they need to break the bank for, but certainly I think w- uh, worth keeping around. Um, Paul, I don't see a lot of other tough decisions. Andrew Kopp, maybe, um, but again, an RFA for him, so not sure they need to go, uh, you know, worry about that too much. Yeah, I think you're right with your analysis. The big deal is the Paul Stas needs to get here and Neil Pionk. Once they sign those two guys, you wonder if the other guys will come in cheap. But uh, Logan Stanley, for me, also a, a guy that they'd like to keep here as a pending RFA. But you can make a case for all 10 of the guys. Uh, that are the skaters here to get new deals here. They certainly won't have any trouble getting getting employment elsewhere. They all showed enough to get that new deal. And in the Nets, Laurent Brossois was a capable backup behind Connor Hallibuck, but if they don't get him, they'll, there's a whole host of 
guys that have second string uh, history in the NHL among the pending available UFAs. So that's our look around the league to get us started in terms of step one in uh, year seven. But we have to put a bow on year six, AJ, and I'll leave you with the final word before I sign off. Well, just to say it's uh, it's been a great, uh, you know, great playoffs, excited for this final series. I know it's more of a uh, doom or gloom final series for you, Paul, but um, going to definitely be taking it in, getting ready for the expansion draft, free agency, and all the other sports that we have to celebrate this summer. So uh, it's great to be ready to roll um, into the offseason here in just a little bit. Tip of the hat to you, partner. Great job all season. Uh, it's great working on these pods with you. I look forward to it every week. We'll do our next show in early week, uh, early August, so keep an eye on our Twitter feeds. That wraps up our look around the year, uh, year six in uh, podcast. Thanks for listening to Rotorwire Signature Fantasy Hockey Podcast again this season. We'll be with you again to get ready for the 21-22 season when we come back at you in the first week of August Follow our Twitter feed. Don't forget, you follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22, and you can follow AJ at AJScholes24. As always, we invite you to listen in to podcasts to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning research. So long, everybody. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.